Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. Um, Go ahead and grab your COH app, your Bible, your journal, however it is that you do this time. We are wrapping up our series on cave time. And I think that this has been such an important series for our church as we've learned that God is with us even in the darkest moments of our lives. You know, we've talked about really important things like, like grief, temptation, despair and depression, fear and anger. And through each of these places, we've learned that we can either choose these caves to be places that we isolate and that we hide Or we can allow God to meet us there, and he turns them into holy places. And so today we are going to jump right in. Okay, is everybody ready? Ready? That worship, how could we not be ready, right? That was incredible. Um, We are going to jump in into the last week of this series, which is the Cave of Hopelessness. Someone asked me earlier what I was preaching on. I was like, hopelessness. They're like, great, awesome. (laughs) So thanks a lot, Trevor and Dale, for that. But in all seriousness, I think this is a really important topic because I think it's one of the most universal caves that we've covered. You know, I think over the past weeks, maybe there were some that you related to more personally than others, but this one I think is one that we will all experience at some point. And I think it's also often where those other caves will lead to. You know, you may start in the cave of of anger or the cave of grief, and then eventually you end up in this cave of hopelessness. And so we are going to jump in today. We're going to actually pick up our scripture where we left off last week. So last week we talked about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We know that those were some of Jesus's closest friends. And at one point, Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus and told him, your friend Lazarus is sick. And unlike Jesus, kind of strangely, right? He stays where he is two more days. Then he comes to Bethany, to Lazarus, another two-day journey, only to find that Lazarus has already been dead for four days. You know, he speaks to Mary and Martha, and then we ended last week's scripture with seeing that Jesus wept. And so today we're going to pick up right where we left off. We're going to stand to honor the reading of the word of God. And we're going to read John eleven thirty-eight through 44. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Don't you love Martha? She's so practical. (laughs) Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. 
the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Um, Father God, I thank you for who you are, that you are a God who wants to raise us to life with you and that you will stop at nothing to do it. I pray now that you would just help each of us to open, open our ears, our hearts, our souls to hear the specific message you have for us today. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. You know, that's a pretty familiar story, right? Most of us know about Lazarus, and I love those familiar stories, but I also think sometimes there's a danger in them. I think when we know stories too familiarly, we sometimes lose the power of them. And so I want to take a moment to just step more deeply into the story of Lazarus, to really remember that Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they were real people who really walked the earth, who really experienced this miracle. And so just humor me for a minute. We're going to imagine that we are there with Mary and Martha and Jesus at Lazarus's tomb. You don't have to close your eyes or anything, but imagine that you have walked from their home in Bethany to the tomb of Lazarus. You're standing there and there's a good-sized group of you there because in Jewish tradition, family and friends would gather with the bereaved for the first seven days they would stay together. So you've all made this journey to the tomb. You're looking at the cave, the stone laid across it. And suddenly you hear Jesus say to Martha, take away the stone. You're like, what? What is he asking her to do? You know, kind of looking around, did everyone else hear that? And she protests, of course, because he's been dead four days. And now that's significant because Jewish tradition held that the spirit hovered around the body for the first three days. So Jesus here is challenging their belief of the scope of his power. So you see these people, maybe you're helping move the stone, push it away from the entrance, and you can just see the entrance of the cave. You know, maybe you're kind of looking at Mary and Martha like, are they okay with what's happening right now? And Jesus prays, he does that, you know, and then he shouts, Lazarus, come out! And this man your cousin or your friend or your relative, whoever he is to you, this man you've been mourning for four days, that you've been sitting with his bereaved sisters for four days, he walks to the entrance of the tomb. You know, what was that moment like? Were there shouts of joy and laughter and happy tears? Or was there just this this odd silence? It was a holy moment, and I think when we really step into it, the story changes for us. Because this story illustrates Jesus' power over death, but more than that, I think it's about the complete eradication of hopelessness in our lives. So let's talk about hopelessness for a minute. Um, Hopelessness, defined by the American Psychological Association, is the feeling that one will not experience positive emotions or an improvement in one's condition. That's pretty much the picture of Lazarus, right? He's dead, he's wrapped up, he's sealed, he's in the cave. He literally has nothing left to live for, right? Oh, come on. All right. (laughs) I was really looking forward to that one. But I think hopelessness is deeper than that deeper than how the psychological association defines it. I think hopelessness is that moment when there's nothing left. You know, it's when when the doctors say there's nothing left to try. 
It's when your bank account has only a few dollars in it and you have a stack of unpaid bills. It's the last marriage counseling session. It's all these feelings where there's nothing left. Pastor George, in his book, he defines it as the place where our prospects have been hijacked and our dreams have been dashed. That is hopelessness. And I think we've all felt that, you know, whether it's just a certain situation in our lives or maybe even a general feeling. Even the people that the culture would say has it all, the ones who have all the money, all the power, all the fame, even then there's an element of hopelessness, right? And haven't we even seen that in our celebrity culture lately? The people we think have it all, we find out tragically and too late that really they had nothing. Um, I want you to notice one phrase in verse 38 as we read this. Jesus once more deeply moved. Now, Pastor Dale pointed this phrase out last week, but for those of you who weren't here, he taught us that that phrase deeply moved in the Greek actually means a snort of anger. And we see it earlier in the story that Jesus is angered at Lazarus's physical death because we weren't meant to live that way. We weren't meant to die. God created us for eternity. And I think here we see it again because Jesus is also angered by a life lived in hopelessness. So let me tell you, let me switch gears for a second. I want to tell you a story. Do you remember the Chilean miners back in 2010? Okay, so there were these 33 men who worked in a mine in Chile, and they, there was a massive collapse. This single block of diorite crashed through all the layers of this vertical mine, causing the mountain to collapse within it. They later learned that that single block was, over, was as tall as a 45-story building and weighed twice as much as the Empire State Building. So it, really, when this happened, they weren't sure there would be any survivors. But 33 men survived, and they were trapped 2,300 feet underground, almost half a mile. And we can see a picture of them. This was, they kind of found this safe room that they were able to stay in and stay alive in. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. They did not even know people were looking for them until day 17 of their time underground. And one of these men said that the whole time they were battling two things, starvation and hopelessness. People up on the surface, they weren't sure there were survivors, but they started sending these drill probes down, kind of into any area in the mine where they thought, if anyone's alive, this is where they would be. And on day 17, one of those drill probes entered into this cave, and the men taped a note to it. That note famously said, as it came up above ground, in English it says, the, 35, the 33 of us in the shelter are well. And this changed the tune of this, this day, right? And so when all the families of the miners learned this, they came and set up camp. They created a settlement at the base of the mine where they would wait for their nephews, their husbands, their brothers to be rescued. And do you know what they called their settlement? They called it Camp And the Chilean president said they would stop at nothing to rescue these men while experts were still saying, there's there's no real possibility that we can actually do this. But with teams from around the world, even NASA, with all of these combined efforts, they finally rescued the men 
52 days later for a total of 69 days on October 12th. And you know, sometimes I think maybe our lives can feel that way, like we're trapped, like maybe no one even knows we're down there. But we also have someone who will stop at nothing to rescue us, who has all the equipment, all the skills needed to get there. And so the first thing I want us to think about today is that Jesus wants to rescue us from the cave of hopelessness. Let's look at verse 43. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I love how he uses Lazarus's name here. Right, Jesus is such a personal God. All over scripture, we read that he knows his people. He calls his sheep by name. And so I think this morning, Jesus wants to say to each of us personally to come out of the cave of hopelessness and into the cave of hope. There is no situation, no life, nothing going on that is too far gone to be marked hopeless by Jesus. Here's the kind of the interesting thing about this story that I've really, that I've just been thinking about this whole time we've been, been studying it and reading it. Lazarus, he still died, right? Yeah. So Jesus raises Lazarus from the grave, but then however many years later, he still died. So what was Jesus doing here? Why would he raise this man from the dead only to have him die again later? And I think what Jesus is doing here is introducing us, inviting us into a new kind of hope, a different kind of hope. And the first thing I would say about this is that this hope is living. It is living. In 1 Peter 1.3, we read about this type of hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this living hope, it's, it's different than what the world has. It's not emotional. It's not tied to a circumstance. It's not anything we have to conjure up. You know that expression, um, don't get your hopes up? That's not this. And Paul writes about that in Romans 5.5 5, when he says specifically, hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This living hope, it's alive, it's lively, it's active, it holds on to us, but it does not depend on us. You know, I think about when I used to take my girls to the beach when they were really little, right? And we would walk up to the edge of the waves, and as soon as we stepped into the water, they would reach their hand up, right? They'd grab my hands. And as we walked deeper into the water, as the waves got bigger and the water got deeper, eventually it was really my grip that was holding them up. You know, as much as they tried to hold on to my hands, it was my strength that could keep them up in the waves. And I think hope is the same way. It holds on to us, even when we don't have the strength to hold on by ourselves. Now, the other thing about this hope is that it is for eternity, Right, This world is not all there is, and our hope extends beyond it. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says that if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Right, God's promises are true. 
God's promises are true. We really have an eternal reality waiting for us where there are no more tears, no more suffering, no more death, no more pain. That is true. And our hope hinges on that. Hope gives us an eternal perspective that enables us to live in this broken world without being totally broken by it. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says that hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. But here's the next piece of good news. We don't have to wait for eternity for that hope. This hope is also for now. This hope transforms our lives even now, not just in the future, not just in the world to come, but now. In John 17, 3, John, um, he defines eternity. And this is one of the only places in the scripture where he is so, so clear about this. And it says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. All of my middle school teachers, grammar people, look at the tense of this, right? Now, this is eternal life. Now, that we know Jesus, that we know God, it is something that we are invited into now. You know, down in that mine, one of those 33 miners who was down there, he was also a pastor. And he talked about how he would organize these prayer meetings, these times of worship, because hope sustains us now, even in the darkest parts of our lives. So I was thinking about this because I love the idea of hope. I know that hope is true. But sometimes in the hardest places, It's hard to understand what hope actually does for us because it doesn't always change circumstances. Often it doesn't. And so what does living hope actually mean to us? And I thought of this this time um, in June 2020 when um, we learned, when we learned, so my my mom was... um, on her cancer journey. And we learned in June 2020, the doctors called and they said, um, you know, it's time. They said, it's time to call in hospice. Basically, it's hopeless, right? And I remember after that happened, going the next day to sit with her and I brought a book to read with me. It's The Magician's Nephew, which is um, in the series of the Chronicles of Narnia. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is the one most of us know. Magician's Nephew is kind of the prelude to that. It's about the creation of Narnia. It's one of my favorites. And so I read to her all day. And the last chapter I read contains one of my favorite passages of, like, all literature. And it's when Aslan is singing Narnia into creation. And it just gives me goosebumps every time. He sings and the stars begin to shine. He sings more lowly and powerfully and the mountains rise from the earth. It's just beautiful imagery. So I read that chapter to her. And at the end of that chapter, there's one sentence. And it says, for the song had now changed. 
And that is the last sentence I read. And my mom passed the next morning. But I remember in that moment thinking that her song had now changed. Her suffering had changed to victory in Jesus. And the song had changed because the cancer that the devil meant for evil was actually how she came to know Jesus personally. That song changed because the death that was meant to be final is actually the place of our greatest victory in Christ. And so that's what hope does. It changes the song. But it's not always easy to get there when we're trapped in that cave of hopelessness. And I want to tell you a little more about those miners, how they were rescued. Okay, so um, all these teams, they worked together to create this rescue pod. I'm going to show you a picture of it. This rescue pod is 21 inches in diameter. That's really small, you guys. (laughs) Do you see the person inside here? So these amazing teams all over the world, they devised this way for the rescue for them to drill a hole parallel to the mine that would eventually reach a chamber where the miners could get from where they were over to where the rescue pod would be. But in order to be rescued, those miners had to take 8-hour shifts to dig the tunnel out to be able to get to the rescue area. And then on that day, when they got there, when that pod got lowered, they had to make the decision to get into the pod, to endure that 15-minute ride back up into the surface of the earth with the walls right here, right? And I think that, um, you know, that says a lot to us because we have a rescuer. He does not need our help, but he wants us to cooperate with the work he's doing, And I think we see this in our scripture. Um, We have to choose to leave the cave. And our text speaks to this first in verse 39. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been there four days. By the way, King James Version says he stinketh. (laughs) I think that's so great. (laughs) He stinketh. But I think that sometimes this can be true of our lives, right? We don't want to let Jesus rescue all of us because we're afraid of what might stink. We're afraid of what he's going to find. You know, we want Jesus to rescue this, this whole part of our lives, but this little part, you know, this, this little habit, this little way I spend my money, this little relationship I don't want to forgive, this part I'm going to keep like that Tupperware in the back of my fridge, just locked up and... You don't want to open it because who knows what will be in there, right? (laughs) And then I also look at verse 44. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let me tell you about these grave clothes. Ancient Jewish texts describe them as long strips of cloth, and they would tightly bind the body, keeping the limbs perfectly straight. They would even have bound the cheeks to keep the mouth closed. That face cloth they describe would have been a yard square. So now picture Lazarus coming out. When we did that earlier, did you picture the difficulty with which he would have come to the entrance of the cave? How he really would have 
barely been able to move. Right? So Jesus had raised him to life, but Lazarus wasn't able to fully step into freedom because he was still bound by something. And I think that this is our assignment here today. You know, as I've been thinking about this series and praying about it, I feel like God showed me this picture of many of you standing at the entrance of caves, having been called out of these caves over the past five weeks, called out of anger, called out of grief, called out of temptation. But maybe you're still standing there at the entrance, still bound by something. I think about in my own story, um, really that, that year after my mom died for me was, was characterized by fear. I think I hit it pretty well, <laughs> but I was, you know, scared what other diagnoses might befall me or my family. I was scared to be happy because I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop. I was scared to lean too fully into God because I didn't want to lose my faith. And I would be okay during the day, but at night I would just wake up from these bad dreams. I would just be crying. My heart would be racing. And one of those nights, I remember God telling me, Jessica, just tell that fear to go away. Tell it to go away. And I did, laying there in my bed with my cheeks wet. I told fear that I didn't want any part of it. I told fear that I am a child of God. And so you have no power over, over me because I've been saved by the blood of Jesus. And so we're going to do that today. We are going to remove some grave clothes here. Okay? So I want you to take your little cloth that you got on the way in. These are your grave clothes. And you know, not all of us are bound by something. And if so, this isn't you then I want you to be like Lazarus's community because Jesus actually commanded Lazarus's community to remove the grave clothes. So if this isn't you, you're praying for those who are doing this. Okay, so take your grave clothes. Take that cloth. And I want you to just close your eyes. And I want you to ask God what he wants to free you from today. Maybe it's one of the caves we talked about, anger or temptation or fear or despair. Maybe it's something else like control or a lie you're believing. Just take a moment and ask God. And now I'm going to pray for us. Father God, we come before you now in the name and authority of Jesus Christ. And we say to these things, these things that my friends have lifted up to you, this fear or this lie or this need to be in control, we say that we don't want any part of them, Lord. These things have no power over us. They do not belong in our lives, and we will no longer cooperate with them. And Lord Jesus, we ask, God, we ask that in your power you would remove these grave clothes. 
Friends, I pray that you hear Jesus telling you to come out from this cave. Come out. And Lord, I ask you to do your work in the power of Holy Spirit. Lead us fully in to the hope and the abundant life that we may come running into your arms out of our caves. Pray all this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Hope's name is Jesus. Hope's name is Jesus. And I see freedom. When I look at these cloths on this step, I see freedom and Jesus inviting you into living hope. Oh, will you receive this benediction, our church's theme verse that could not be more perfect for this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, go in that hope and we'll see you next week.